Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark. And tonight we are doing another Comic Talk episode. We are talking the first volume of Lazarus. Got Rod and Rebecca. What is up? How's it going? What up? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Good stuff. Pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's incredible. That's what it is. Greg Rucka. <laughs> How about those Yankees? You yeah. know? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Fuck the Yankees. No, whatever. No, Joe's about to hang up on both of us. He could care less about the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> My first thought is, is like, wait, minute, what time of year is it? It's not baseball yet, is it? <laughs> almost. Almost. Spring training. Almost. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. I liked baseball when I was a kid. I just, uh, the older I got, the less I just really cared about sports and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a slow burn. But yeah, I used to collect baseball <laughs> cards and everything. Oh, nice. I, I've had the opposite experience. As a, as a kid, I was not interested in sports whatsoever because, like, no one in my family is. As I got older and I had, I made friends outside my family i got more into like baseball and for a while i followed basketball i don't do that anymore so i, I just follow baseball now nice yeah, yeah i've always rod been into sports stuff sorry mm, oh, <laughs> yeah oh yeah no rod's the real sports guy here on, on this podcast <laughs> yeah yeah I've, i grew up playing sports my brother played sports my dad played sports so i've always been into basketball baseball football um i golfed in college so I like watching Tiger. Nice. I golfed in high school. I actually got a letter. Nice. Yeah, I know. I did not expect my name to get called in that pep rally. I said Joe Stark, and I looked at the people next to me. What the fuck? I was like, oh, so yeah, I golfed. I'm like, I went out for golf so I could golf for free every day after school with my friends. Yeah. Huh. Okay. A letter for a jacket that I don't fucking own? <laughs> sitting in a box somewhere. Just frame that shit. <laughs> Should iron it onto a Batman shirt. That'd be the dumbest thing ever. The Batman Who Golfs by Joe Stark. <laughs> Alfred's his caddy, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> the Joker sets him up in, like, I don't know, sand traps or whatever. I don't know golf. I'm guessing that a sand trap is a thing but uh, the joker sets him up to fail and oh i'm five strokes behind take that batman yeah i don't yeah. know this is a terrible idea that i just came up with you have Dave, damien driving a golf cart around <laughs> That's awesome. do you think batman would have a very good golf swing with that cape though i Who think knows? he would take the cape off I think he would detach the cape to swing and then put it back on to ride in the golf cart. I think it would be more epic. <laughs> also, he, would stand I, on, he would just stand on top of the golf cart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what would Batman's golf cart look yeah. like? It would have yeah. to be a bat golf cart, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd have to have like the 66 Batman, like, um, um, you know the whole batteries to power turbines to speed thing, and then yeah. like fire would shoot out the back, and he'd take <laughs> off, and he'd be like, and then like he'd go to the next hole. Also, I think, I I think that um, Batgirl 
would try to join the club and they would try to exclude her because it's like a boys only club and she'd smash the patriarchy and join anyway. That's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Or she could be the beer cart lady and this could be the first time that Damien gets drunk with his dad. (laughs) (laughs) Could be glorious. Oh my goodness. Hey, do you think they get poison ivy like to keep the grounds up? That just makes sense. Her and Swamp Thing. Like, would there keep up go. the grounds. Like, that just makes sense to me. We have got this figured out, killer, you guys. Killer, killer Croc comes out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking penguin like, shows up. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. So, like, Solomon Grundy is, like, the guy who's golfing for the first time. And, like, he can't figure it out. He's like, Grundy, no swing good. And then him and Bizarro Superman, like, they're trying to figure it out. And they just can't get it. Guys, this comic book writes itself. Why are we not writing this right now for DC? This would be gold. Really good. Lex Luthor would be like the evil guy trying to buy the golf course. (laughs) Or it would be like Judge Smales. This took a really weird turn. Oh my goodness. I know. It's very strange. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. Uh, no it's great so uh the book we're talking about tonight lazarus volume one uh you had both read this before me and you had both previously told me that it was excellent and you were not lying right oh what a great book yeah so so fucking good this book came recommended to me by our co-host on our other podcast number one comic books uh, shameless plug, Brian from Pop Culture <laughs> Leftovers. Um, yeah, he 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 recommended this book to me ages ago and said I think you'd really like it. And I read the first trade and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And uh, so yeah, you know, uh, props to Brian for for that recommendation. Oh hell yeah, yeah. I mean, very very good stuff. Um, the I couldn't believe the art in it. The first time I got this, I just picked it up and briefly flipped through it. And I was like, oh, I like this style of art. And um, I really, really like the way that this artist drew the outdoor scenes. We get lots of really cool, like, desert sunset type uh, horizon shots. And, I mean, he also does a very good job Mm -hmm. at distinguishing, like, just the feel of the panel, whether it's indoor or outdoor. And, I don't know, just the art in this book has really blown me away. Yeah, this art was great. I like, like you were saying, there's a lot of the p- different pages where um, it kind of almost has like a, a back tone color that like just kind of lays over it and it's transparent, but it gives you that whole tone for the feelings going on. Like there's pages that are all blue, but you got like the different shades going so it you can distinguish the art really well on it. And then the de- like you get the desert sunsets. Um, yeah, there's just so much great art and then it's, it's very detailed. I mean, she kicks some ass. So you get to see some pretty gruesome shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our main character is a real badass. Um, kind of jumped over the particulars of this. Uh, this is a image comic. Uh, the creators are Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. Uh, colors by Santi Arcus. Uh, the plot of this book, um, the world now lies divided, not amongst political or geographic boundaries, but amongst financial ones. Wealth is power, and that power rests with only a handful of families. The few who provide a service for their ruling family are cared for. All others are waste. In each family, there is one person given the best they can offer 
training and technology and assets, every scientific advantage. This person is named their family's sword and shield, their protector, their Lazarus. In the family Carlisle, the Lazarus is called forever. This is the beginning of her story. Now that's now the first time I read that, I was like, whoa, (laughs) I mean, I love Mm -hmm. dystopian future books and this one has a very interesting twist on it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's really interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, how in in this world that they've built, you know, it we've almost like regressed to the way it used to be, like in in when it was like uh lords and, and fiefs and serfs and all that. So you've got like these ruling families, you've got serfs that <clears throat> excuse me, that like serve them. And how terrible that they call everybody else waste. Like, you're not even a person. You're like garbage. Um, But it kind of like goes, not kind of, it definitely goes with that whole dystopian post-apocalyptic theme of people just being referred to as garbage. Um, And and the world that that Greg Rucka and Michael Lark have built here is just absolutely fascinating. And it's so interesting to to read it. Yeah, um, I don't know, Rebecca, if you've read the old guard, but Joe, did you get a feel that it was it, you get like that old guard feel from it? Uh, definitely with the brutality of like the fight scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah this this first volume was so good. I mean, we get thrown into this whole crazy dystopian future that they're in, where basically like there's not many resources left. It doesn't seem like, I mean, they have, they all kind of like, we, they talk about it. They have like their weird, like J 17, whatever that stuff, like plant seed, I'm assuming. Yeah. They're like modified seeds that are, that are genetically enhanced to like grow in like the, the, the soil and everything's kind of gone bad in the future. And so this Carlisle family are, they're kind of experts in like genetic manipulation and stuff like that. So they got these seeds that are coveted by their neighbors because you know they're starving they need crops to be able to grow on their land to feed their people yeah yeah it's what did you think of just that first issue kind of the way that it opens up and then it tends it like turns up the volume even more i mean this thing opens up where we see our main character forever lazarus or forever carlisle the lazarus we see her get like brutally killed and then come back and deal that right back out on the people that just did that to her. Yeah, that was fucking sweet. Like, yeah, you see her get shot twice in the chest, I think. Yeah. Yeah, twice in the chest. And then you see her just laying there covered in blood and they're all like, all right, she's done. And then all of a sudden it's like you're getting like the the dialogue saying, uh, was it how long is it going to take her? one minute maybe two and the next thing you see her getting her up getting up and she's just just these guys raid their fridge like their their stocked up fridge and she just goes in there and what she do she snaps the one dude's neck and the other guy had a sledge and i think she swung it on or she deflected it and made the other guy hit him with it and next thing you know within like four seconds she's already killed all three of them and they're just a bloody mess yeah, yeah. What, what's what's interesting about that scene, too, is that um, she walks in there into that, like, stock room or that, like, refrigerator room. She has no weapons on her. She doesn't have a gun. She doesn't have a sword. 
she walks in barely like having just been revived as we're going to find out in a little bit. That's why she's called the Lazarus. And she takes these guys apart with her bare hands. I mean, that's how strong she is, is that she does not need a weapon. Um, And these guys have weapons and she's able to, she's able to take them down without anything. And I love the psychological twist we get right at the beginning too, that she's struggling with the fact that she kills people. And she's talking with this doctor about it, and she's like, you know, is this normal? Do Does everybody feel like this? And he's just straight up lying to her. He's like, no, no, nobody else has a problem with this sort of stuff. And as this book goes on, you come to see more and more of the struggle. You realize that, you know, Lazarus is being told, or the Lazarus is being told this lie. Like, she thinks that she's like the youngest sister in this family, but really... I mean, she's something else entirely. I, I'm not positive what that is yet. If it's, if there's some component of like, is she mechanized in some way, or is it just all really advanced cellular structure that can push itself back together? I mean, uh, Rebecca, what are your thoughts on that? Well, without without giving too much away further on, there is a scene toward the end of this book that makes me believe that she is partially mechanized. And I think you guys may know what scene I'm talking about. Um, I I think she's partially mechanized. Maybe it's something as simple as she's made up of DNA, perhaps from her father and her mother, but I don't think she was conceived naturally. She, maybe she was conceived or created like in a, in a laboratory or whatever. Um, but I think she's almost like a Terminator. Like she's got that metal component to her. But she, like you said, Joe, she believes that she's like the natural daughter of of this family. Yeah. And did um, did you both also just read this like in the regular paperback trade? Yeah, I just read like the volume of it online. Okay. Did you get that little bonus thing at the end that was it was um, called the family prelude? Yes, yeah. I I did too. Okay, yeah, so if you buy the Volume 1 trade, it has this really cool prelude in it, and it says that uh, it first printed in previews as part of the initial solicitation for Issue 1, and uh, it's really, really interesting shit, and it gives some of the, it fills you in on some of that psychology of, you see the the patriarch of this family, uh, Malcolm Carlyle, and like, doesn't that dude just look like an asshole? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, but like, if you wear a button-up shirt and like a sweater tied around over it, I'm just kind of maybe going to assume you're a bit of a pretentious asshole. And yeah. so that dude is definitely rocking that look. And, Plus, your um, name is Malcolm Carlisle of the <laughs> Connecticut Carlisles. Like, it's like that guy. <laughs> no, it's that guy. <laughs> the Connecticut Carlisles. <laughs> No offense against Connecticut. There's nice people there, but, you know, it's like that kind of thing. <laughs> I've heard it's a highway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, in that prelude, it's really cool because uh, we get uh, Malcolm talking about forever. And he's saying that, you know, she was, you know, perfectly designed to be this assassin. Like, um, what's he called? Like the tip of his sword. And the whole time we see her doing this covert operation where she's like, you know, dressed like high tech ninja and she's going into this facility and planning all these explosives and burns the place down. 
And this dude that Malcolm's talking to, he asks him, you know, do, well, do you, do you love her? And he's like, you know, you don't love a tool, but you pretend like you love her. And then that strings her along to where she'll do whatever for you. And then it ends with, with, um, him kissing her on the forehead and saying, good girl. And she's like smiling and you're like, yes, father. And so it's like, all oh, the psychology that builds in this first volume. It's just so good. Yeah, in, in this in this solicitation in the back, he compares her to and you're right, Joe, he does call her the tip of his sword, but he, he compares her to a tool, he compares her to a weapon, he says she's the family's defender, and he's like, But you how but you can't love an object. And he even compares her to a pet, and he says, You don't love a pet the same way you love a child. Now, while while that's true. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I know, Joe, you have you have a family. You also have animals. You love them in different ways, obviously. But to think of your child as a pet, I mean, that's just terrible. I mean, that's beyond terrible. But to him, that's exactly what forever is. She's not really one of his kids. She's like a pet. And like a pet, he gives her affection when she when she's a good girl. And she craves that affection because any child wants the approval of their parent. And uh, it, it is, it's, it's a complete mind fuck is really what it is. And um, I, I'm, I can't wait to see how this plays out in future issues. Yeah. I also think too, that maybe she was, cause I don't know when each, cause each of the families have a Lazarus and I'm not sure if maybe, over the years, they're like the Lazaruses are different ages. So maybe she's kind of one of the original ones, and some of the other families have newer, like I guess, newer Lazaruses and or Lazari. I don't know. <laughs> 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 and uh, so I'm thinking maybe that she was kind of like the original, and then now there's maybe not necessarily better ones, but just more modernized ones. And that's kind of what you were hinting at towards the end of this first volume. So I think she's a, like a structurally probably a human compared to what mm. we see at the end. Like not quite a Terminator, but. Oh, uh, so, so you're saying. I don't think she has any. I don't think uh-huh. she has any type of like um, mechanical things was, to her. That was my thought, too. I mean, the other Lazarus we see for the Moray family, like, yeah, we see mm-hmm. some of his flesh get you know, burned away in that blast and stuff. And he, he does, it's got that, that definitely that Terminator one feel to it, which is very sure. cool. So, so are, are you guys saying that you think she's more like an upgrade from that model? Yeah. She's definitely younger uh, because that other oh, Lazarus yeah. talks about, you know, the last time I saw you, you were just a little girl and you didn't say anything. And I love the exchanges between those two. And in Rebecca, I got to lean on your Espanol here. How do you pronounce that dude's name? Oh, hold on. Let me go back there. I was going to say Joaquin. Oh, I bet that's it. It it, it is. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's, hold on. Joaquin. Yeah. (laughs) I have to hear you say it with the inflection. (laughs) (laughs) It's too cool. (laughs) But yeah, I loved that character and I loved the interaction between those two. And I really want to see more of that. And like full disclosure, I have only read the first volume so far. I I own the first four, but I haven't read past this because I wanted to be able to discuss this one, you know, with you two tonight without really knowing anything else forward of it. 
yeah, same yeah, I, here. I've only yeah, I've only read this first uh, this first trade, but I will be reading the next one very soon because I after after reading it again in in preparation for tonight, I was like, damn, I forgot how much I love this. Why don't I own the second one yet? I gotta get on that. <laughs> yeah, and it's a very skinny trade. It's a really fast read, and you know, like like Image Volume Ones, this is a nine ninety nine book. And it is not $10 ill spent. And if you got Amazon Prime, you can get it even cheaper. And I mean, you know, obviously I'm not going to do a comic talk episode on something that I wouldn't recommend. But I mean, this is a damn good one. I mean, definitely go out and buy this first volume. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't, I think it's, it's how many issues is not it right now? I think it's in the 20s. It's definitely yeah. ongoing. It might be further along. If yeah, it could be in the twenties though. I know it's at least four volumes deep. I don't know yeah. if it's in the, in its fifth or if it's its fifth trade's already out or not. But yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be continuing this. I I think I was getting ready to start the next the next volume, and then I got distracted by something and never got back to it. And then I decided to hold off because I didn't want to have to. Spec. I wanted to be able to speculate and not give anything away. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a fun way to approach these. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, what, Rod? What did you think of the weird family interactions in the Carlisle family? Oh, that was super fun. How many of them? So there's Jonah, and Johanna, and then Beth, Steve. Those are the four siblings, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Seeing so like Jonah is kind of the one who's who acts like he's in charge of the family of the of the of all the siblings but then you it's crazy that we get like that random scene of him and johanna and it's like uh it's getting a little creepy because he's rubbing her neck and she's in the tub and all this so then you've got i don't know if you got some incest going on or what's going on in that family but yeah, it, definitely very strong siblings. Like they're all strong-minded people because you see, there's this um, Beth. I don't know if she gets in an argument with Steve or with Jonah and fucking slams his face. Yeah, slams his face down on the table and like breaks, uh, threatens to break his arm. She's got a knife in her hand too. Yeah, she's I mean, fucking she, like, crazy. Fully fucking rages out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, what's weird too is that did you guys notice that? When Malcolm was being upset with his kids, he said something about them being 60 or 70 years old. And so it's like, what kind of crazy genetics or, I mean, if they can make something like forever, are they dabbling in things themselves? Because they all looked like they were in their, especially with Jonah and Joanna, they looked like they were in their 20s. Like, uh, Bethany looked like she was, what, maybe in, like, her th- 40s, maybe? Mm-hmm. And I'd guess Steven to be probably in his 30s, but, I mean, Malcolm refers to him, I'm pretty sure, in his 60s or 70s. Did you happen to catch that panel? I did not. No, I'm um, looking for it. Yeah, do you remember where it was, Joe? I think I just opened the page right to it. Okay, we have serious matters to discuss, and I will not have my oh, sons okay. acting like they're six instead of 60. Oh, my gosh. Yes, you're right. Why didn't that register the first time I read it? But you're absolutely right. Um, he does say that they're 60. So maybe they just, well, maybe because they're really wealthy, they can have like better health care and better diet and 
uh, really good plastic surgery, maybe. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Or they just age differently like, because of whatever they're taking now. They just age slower. They found a way to age themselves slower. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm leaning more towards the genetic manipulation with the mm-hmm. stuff like they're able to do with forever. But it's I think that's something... I think that might be some foreshadowing. That's they, why would you say six or sixty unless they were really sixty? You know, so right. I, I don't know. It just struck me as is something that Rucka threw in to to say that you know this could have something mean more later on. Do you think that maybe they all were Lazaruses at one point, but then at a certain point as a Lazarus, you turn back into like being not immortal? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you wouldn't think so the way that they they talk about forever or the way that some of like especially like Jonah and Joanna, the way that they talk about forever. Yeah. I mean, cuz they don't even want to refer to her like as sister. Yeah. It's um yeah, they um they really resent almost that she's even there. Like, if it was up to them, like, they'd keep forever, like, in the tool shed with the hammer. You know what I mean? Like, that that's all that she is to the, to, to the siblings. Whereas the father, I mean, even if it's pretend, he at least shows her some kind of affection to make her feel like she's part of the family. Yeah. And, like, he, he even makes it seem like he wishes forever really was one of his kids. Doesn't he say something like... Uh, out of all my kids, only one of them is like worth anything, and it's, the same, and it's this one. That is the same is that thing the, that I was thinking about, Rebecca. Yeah, so he, yeah, he, out of all his kids, it's almost like, okay, so so we've got two of them that, I mean, Rod pointed it out. I mean, they're probably having an incestuous relationship, which, ew, gross. Oh, but it's very Lannister, saw, right? Oh, yes, extremely. So you've got that going on with those two. Then you've got, like, the other one who, like, can't get his shit together. Then you've got the last one who, like, she's not even in this hardly because she doesn't want to be there. Um, and then you've got Forever. And it's it's like she's the only one that the father can count on. And she's not even, quote, unquote, his real daughter kind of a thing. And yeah, I mean, I think as I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously they set this up as a big secret that she doesn't know anything about this. So I'm sure at some point it's going to be revealed to her in some terrible, horrible way, which will cause her to like have her whole world come crashing down around her. Yeah, and it and you'd think also with something that huge, like I wonder if it'll be spread out over more than one story arc. Yeah, yeah, I wonder too. Maybe. If when she does find out, like her and Joaquin go off and fuck shit up together, <laughs> yeah, because that those two fighting together, like kind of back to back at the yeah, end, like rolled over the end of and, issue four. That was yeah, he, like rolled over her back. Yeah, that was so fucking cool. That was very cool. That was very rem- although this came out long before, but it was very reminiscent of Last Jedi. Which, if you haven't seen Last Jedi, sorry, everyone, spoil, mild spoiler here. Um, that scene in the throne room where Rey and um, Kylo Ren are fighting back to back, like that, th- that reminded me of that right away. Um, it just had that really cool feel to it. Yeah, I can totally see that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Two people that you w- wouldn't expect to kind of team up uh, with like out hesitation all of a sudden just team up. Yeah. And at this point, if you haven't seen The Last Jedi, you don't care to see The Last Jedi. So That's true. I know. I gave a spoiler warning like out of habit. Like three years from now, I'll be like, spoilers for Last Jedi if you haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, how, how old does a movie have to get where you got to suddenly start worrying about spoiler warnings just because there's people who might have never seen it? Like, like yeah, am I an I, asshole yeah. if I say that, you know, what happens at the end of Sixth Sense? <laughs> No, I think you. No, give, I, think, I think you give a movie a year. A movie gets a year since its release yeah. date, and then I, after I, that, I, yeah, I, I'm with Rod. A year is reasonable. If you haven't seen The Sixth Sense by now or know the the twist, then you're never going to watch it. So <laughs> you lived in a very secluded childhood. If that's the case, <laughs> and wasn't it very respectful that none of us actually said Bruce Willis is dead at the end of Sixth Sense? Wait, he is? No, I'm just <laughs> Han dies, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> I loved seeing Forever in the role in this as uh, relaying Malcolm's message to um, uh, to the Murray family. Oh yeah, it's almost like she was program. It was like a program. Yeah, because the way she says it. It was so cool and like so official. It just had a, it had a very interesting feeling to it. I yeah, th- it oh, it was ahead. definitely, uh, it was definitely very. Um, yeah, Rod, you said like programmed. It it was almost like a like a like like programming, but it was also like. Like kind of going back to what we were saying, like uh, Game of Thrones a second ago. It, it's very much like the king. You know, the king's not going to go to talk to some other guy, person to person. The king is going to send his bravest knight or uh, a trusted servant with a message. And and it's that servant's job to relay the message just like this. You know, uh, my master says, blah, 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 and I am to return with your response. And, and so it has that feel to it. But it, it kind of goes back to that whole thing that we were saying before of like, you know, this is post-apocalyptic and everybody's kind of returned into sort of just a few ruling class families with a whole bunch of servants below them. So I like that feel of it because it kind of gives it a old world feel, but in a very modern way. Yeah, it's almost like mid- like a medieval times, but with mm. modernization to it because they kind of you have those different classes and then you have just a few- handful of ruling families. And like you were saying, like, the way she was speaking to him sounded very old, like old English, modern time, like castles, stuff like that. Medieval time. You think of that way, the way that the, the way she was phrasing things. Yeah, that's a good call, Rod. I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. It has that medieval times feel, but I, I also wanted to point out in the beginning of chapter three in this book, um, we get a really cool panel and I, I don't, I'm just going to read it only because um, I thought it was an interesting point here. It's the panel right after we start chapter three. They're like outside the compound and there's something written on the wall in Spanish. Yes, I had it, I had it written in my notes. Ask Rebecca what that says. <laughs> so it says, <laughs> Mora sin pacha mientras nosotros morimos de hambre. And it means that the moras 
the, the family is getting fatter while we are dying of hunger. So there is, it's not all copacetic in, in, in the more in, in the, in the Moras family at all. Um, there's a lot of unrest happening here that I, I hope comes back in the later issue, but you could, who, the people who are living, uh, with this family, the, the more family, they are not happy. They are all dying of hunger. Meanwhile, the family is like living it up. Yeah. And Malcolm's message that, that forever relays even says something to that effect. Like we estimate that your people are going to rise up against you, you know, in X amount of months and you know, you're going to be nothing anyway. So you need this deal. Yeah. And, and that graffiti speaks right to that because the, the people in, in this family or the people who are living under this family absolutely feel that way. Like they, there's a lot of unrest happening and, you know, we see like guards walking around with like, like AK 47 assault rifles or something ready to shoot anybody who comes close to the compound. So like there's stuff is going to happen if, if these two families don't make a deal. But let's not forget how awesome it is in between those two things. When, uh, forever gets introduced we get to see uh her get introduced to joaquin and that head the head soldier of uh they're like their military of that family is trying to arrest her basically and he's like uh she's here for other reasons he's like no this is my orders she's like okay you can try and um she's he says take let me take your sword and add, it's like the way it cuts it off it stops him in the mid word and she yanks the sword out slices off his hand and puts it back <laughs> <laughs> yeah she has zero chill she's around yeah, i thought that was amazing yeah i like that too rod he was in mid word to say blade and she just chops his arm his hand off <laughs> it's great yeah, and then the other Lazarus is like, you know, your ambition outweighed your sense. Something to that effect. <laughs> Fucking cuts his head off. Yep. And he's like, you, you're in charge now. <laughs> <laughs> That's very Darth Vader of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite scenes in in this whole volume one. Like, I, I loved that. And it's that. it's also, that's the beginning of the exchange in between those two that I I really want to see where that relationship's going to go. Well, I mean, they, they understand each other on a level that other people can't because they're both the family's Lazarus. And so they know what it is to die and be reborn. I mean, how many times has that happened to them, especially with um, Joaquim who's older than her? I mean, you could imagine it. Could it be double? Maybe. Um, and so, like, they, their relationship is very different. It's very singular. And and no one else can really get in there with, with that relationship. And so I, I hope that in the next trade um, we see more of that because I, I think that that's gold. I think that that's just great stuff right there. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there is some really deep stuff to explore there. And I love that Greg Rucka takes us there. Yeah, and we also get – we know that between the two of them, just the dialogue and interaction that they have, that there's certain foods and stuff that they, that these Lazaruses can't digest properly or that affect their bodies differently than us. 
So she had, like when they're sitting down for some fruit and she I think it's guava that she can have, but he can't have it because it messes up something to do with enzymes. Yeah, and that further goes into saying that you know that she's probably an upgrade. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. You guys are making good points to that. I think you're starting to sway me to the upgrade business um, because she is a new, like she's younger. She could be a newer model. She can eat food that he can't. Um, yeah, yeah. You guys are like swaying me now to your side. I think. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, so. The whole thing that gets set in motion here is Jonah and Joanna had had this plan to execute forever because Jonah had been trying to like foment this war in between the Marais and his family. And Malcolm saw right through it. And that was pretty much what forever goes to the Marais to do is to foster this peace, create this new deal. Well, Joanna's plan is, you know, hey, she's got to make it back to our lands before she can relay this message to father. So we just kill her at the border. And, uh, we see, um, I'm a, it's Joaquim. Did I say it? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You said it perfectly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we see Joaquim and, um, God damn it. Now I'm fucking myself up. <laughs> so we see the two Lazarus. They stop at the border <laughs> to just enjoy the sunset. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, it's this really great scene, and all these beautiful panels, and then we see attack helicopters come in and shoot missiles at him and blow him up. Well, also too, I mean, Joaquin was like trying to have a little sexy moment here with Forever, like he was putting the moves on her, and you know, she seems a little, she seems a little naive, like maybe because she's younger, like she doesn't know quite know what to do with this, but he was trying to have a little moment here. And he was, I mean, you want to talk about cock block? I mean, this was a pretty big cock block, guys. I mean, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about as bad as it gets. I yeah. know. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, now you're seeing all my metal. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't supposed to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all, that's the further proof then also. They, they both get hit point blank with these missile blasts. We don't see metal sticking out of her body. True, true. She's got that shrapnel through her leg. Yeah, that's and that's crazy. Like this, these attack for uh, commandos come out and they're all dressed in riot gear and they're about to execute her. And yeah, I mean, she basically just kind of heals up fast enough that then this just epic fight happens with her and Joaquim and they are taking out all these soldiers. And I love how it keeps showing Bethany and James like back at like the, um, oh, I forget what that place is called, but basically the place where they monitor all of forever's telemetry. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, cause at first they were like, why is she just standing still? And then, you know, Bethany's like, well, maybe she's appreciating the sunset. And, and we're really seeing that. And then all of a sudden everything's spiking and they're like, oh my gosh, like she is fighting for her life right now and i mean they're some of the most violent panels that that i've seen in a comic book and just with the way that um that lark drew these i mean it's just it was really something to behold like that shit in episode or issue four is really really amazing yeah oh, and absolutely and, Sorry, and, the, and the and the fucked up shit that you get with uh johanna too Cause then you got like, there's, you get back and forth panels of the fight that's going on out in the desert with the Lazaruses. And then, 
um, you see Beth or not Beth. You see Johanna kind of setting up a a plan in motion. She has like kind of like a bodyguard punch her in the face repeatedly, and we know she's up to something. And then we find out she's basically trying to set up her brother, Johanna or Jonah. Yeah, yeah. She had a backup plan of her own to where if Forever was going to live, then she needed an out. And that's how fucked up this family is. She's willing to basically sacrifice her brother. Yeah, it's well, then, of course, that just so if if her and her brother are sleeping together, um, then it just sort of emphasizes that whole like this is just about this is just about lust. This is just about doing something because it's wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's that thrill. This is there. There's no love in this family anywhere. Like nobody in this family really loves each other because, you know, she's sleeping with her brother, presumably, but then she's ready to sell him out and frame him for beating her up and then trying to kill forever. So yeah, there's like no real love in this family anywhere. And they are really, they are really messed up. (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah that is a very good way to put it um and so yeah the way that this this ends we see jonah's on the run um joanna so far has gotten away with it like forever is you know consoling her while she's all you know fucking hamburger faced yeah <laughs> and um yeah so uh it's it seems like malcolm was buying that story also and then the I love the big monkey wrench we get right at the end of this with on that very last page, um, Forever is in her quarters and she gets an email come in that says, he is not your father, this is not your family. Yeah. That is, so somebody is, yeah, somebody is trying to obviously tell her that. So now who who do you guys think it is? Like do you think we've met this person yet who's who's telling her this or you think it'll be like um a yet to be named character? Yeah, I was just thinking that exact same thing. If if it is somebody that we've already seen, you know, the the most likely would be uh Joaquin because they had that emotional connection. He is a Lazarus, you know, maybe he's older. Um hell, maybe he even remembers the one before her for the Carlisle family. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it all bets off if it's a, if it's a character we haven't been sure. exposed to yet, but I mean, if it was somebody that we'd seen in this first volume, uh, who do you think Rebecca? Joaquin is a really good guess. I was thinking maybe it could be the doctor. Cause I feel like there's something, I feel like there's more to his character than what we've seen. Um, but I mean, Joaquim is a good guest too. And then of course, you know, it could also be someone we haven't met yet. And then it'll be a whole new character to be introduced. Um, but yeah, if I had to, if I had to place the bet, it would either be the doctor or Joaquim. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it's someone we haven't met yet. And it's either going to be maybe someone from another family that we haven't been introduced to yet, or there might be like a faction of the waste that are going to try to plan an uprising. And they have some technology. Maybe it was someone that was formerly part of a family or something, or just had a lot of military intelligence or something. And they're trying to sway her to fight for them. Yeah. I like that angle too. 
That's pretty good. I hadn't even considered the waste. Oh, that's true. Man, Rod with all the good points tonight. My goodness. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a that's a really <laughs> good point. It could be because we haven't really met they haven't really shown us like the waste people. Like we've seen like the family, we've seen their servants, but like all of these like waste people, like where are they? Are they just like are they just like living are they homeless? Are they living in camps? Are they just we just haven't seen them yet? It's yeah, it's I, I, I don't know what what's what's their story yet. Yeah, I think I think the only waste we really see in the book you know, unless we're just seeing random like background people in some of the panels, would be those. Was it those three guys that that forever kills in the first scene of the book? That's true. And then, yeah, you're right. Th- those three guys are like basically like waste. And then there is a scene where she does execute like an older man. Yeah, I think he does um, surf though. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's his him and the other people are serfs. That whole scene too was. Again, it's showing that she's having an issue with just with just mindlessly killing people. You know, she's questioning how right or wrong something is, because if nobody confessed to the crime, the orders were to kill everybody. And so the old man confessed and she knew she kind of knew that he wasn't telling the truth, but she had to kill him. Otherwise, she had to kill the whole family. And so she kind of made you know, she sacrificed the one to save the many, but she, it still didn't sit right with her. Yeah. And then we got these Carlisles that are ruling over everybody. Is there anybody in that family that would make that self-sacrifice so that the rest of their family could live? Not as of right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No way. You know? No way. Yeah. So that's a, it's a very interesting little bit of, um, social commentary that Greg Rucka threw in there. You know, the old man saying, you know, you guys go on so much about family, but you don't know the first thing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was, this was a really great book. I can't wait to dive into volume two. I think I'm going to start it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to definitely order volume two. I don't know why I waited so long, but yeah, volume one was amazing. Um, and I, I don't know, Joe, if you had or Rod, if you had read that um, back in September of last year, it was announced that uh, Amazon had picked up the rights to Lazarus to develop a TV show. Oh, oh. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. You ready for the? Mm-hmm. Oh, you ready for the perfect casting of Forever? Oh, ho, ho, ho. Okay, so it's not like a big name person. It's um. The actress that is kind of like the, she's one of the, she's the, she's in the one Fast and Furious movie where she's the one that turns sides. Like she starts as like the Rock's um, partner and then she actually like flips to the other team. And then she's also in Deadpool. She's the, she's Ajax's assistant. Oh. Oh, are you talking about, um, was it Gina Carano? That probably. That's probably who I'm thinking of. Okay, I might have said her name wrong. I can I can picture you talking about though. She was like yeah. an MMA fighter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because she kind of has the build. Because this Lazarus forever is pretty jacked. I mean, she she is. I'm not. I I don't hate that casting, Rod. I actually really like that casting. But I'm also like I just like I just saw Tomb Raider last weekend, and I could totally see Alicia Vikander playing this. 
Like if she put on maybe a little bit more muscle, um, because e- e- even though Lazarus, even though forever is, is built, she's also very lean. Um, yeah. I, I could also see like a, an Alicia Vikander type playing her. Um, yeah, something like that or someone like that, I should say. I like I can't it. wait to see what they'll do with that, though. I mean, Amazon's already got so many good TV shows. This is a very good home for it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of um, like I'm a big fan of like these comic books being adapted into to shows like um, uh, American Gods on Stars was as a great example. Um, Legion on FX. Like I think that these books serve as a really good template for a TV show over a movie. Personally, oh, um, because you've you've got so much material, and like the episodes are like laid out for you. Like it's a how-to book to make a TV series. Uh, the way that that comics are written. So to take this and turn it into a TV series or even what they did like with Runaways on Hulu. I mean, that was incredibly successful and so well done. I think on Amazon with the money that they're dropping on stuff, you could, you could have a really good gory series, you know, 10 episodes, tell a nice tight story. Really, really good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, have, I'd be up for it. Yeah, yeah have, have you heard too. anything else about other than it just got picked up? I mean, has there been any news of it actually being developed yet? Or yeah, hang on, because I I was reading um some stuff on Wikipedia about it because I remember hearing this news on another podcast and it, it kind of stuck in my brain. But um the the latest I have as far as Wikipedia says, uh, September twenty seventeen. So. Uh, we're talking about like six months ago, I guess um, deadline was reporting that it was being developed as a potential series for Amazon. And that basically um, in November of 2017, um, he said, uh, Greg Rucka said that uh, the show was, it's, it's a long way from being released. It's still in development and that the casting process had not yet begun. So that's in November of last year. I, I don't know where the show is now. I haven't heard anything beyond that. But I still think it's exciting that um, uh, Amazon picked up so the rights to develop this into a TV show. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to see this on screen because I think it's such a unique story. It's 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 an original story. It's not a reboot of something. Like finally, it's not a reboot. Like it's something <laughs> original. And um, God knows, like we're all sick of the reboots. So why not? Yeah, yeah. I just got a Fire Stick too, so I've been pretty stoked on Amazon TV lately. Mm. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, are there? Uh, I had a handful of other books. That, that I'd wanted to talk about. Um, Rebecca, Rod, do you have any books you'd like to bring up? Um, I know you had mentioned we were going to talk about the Batman TMNT a little bit. Um, i trying to think. I haven't really read anything else. I did read Revival. Um, I'm in like the fourth trade of that, but I know you haven't read that yet. You need to. <laughs> <laughs> have you read Revival, Rebecca? I have not. I haven't read Revival. 
Okay, so what is like kind of like the synopsis of like like the plot or whatever of Revival Rod? Um, so basically, there's a like small town in Wisconsin that gets there's some type of you don't really know if it's a disease or what it is exactly. They think it's something that you they end up kind of finding it out throughout the trades, but um, basically there's some type of infection or something going around where um, it's called Revival Day, and everybody that had died on that day the day or the day before that day they all came back to life and not necessarily like zombies but they just came back to life but then they can't die again um so like for example like in one of i remember in one of the panels a person literally comes back to life while he's being um cremated so like he's in the furnace and they turn it on and oh god yeah shit and he wakes up and he gets out of there but he's all burned up and shit. And as you have like the main, the main character um, is a, is a sheriff in the town or she's the deputy and her dad's the sheriff. So you get the, like that family interaction and find out just the mystery involved in what is causing this. But then you also see that there's like these alien type entities called the, they call them the glowing man um, that are related to the story too. And just lots of fucked up shit happens in it, but it's incredible. Wow. It's called it's called Revival. Yeah, t- Tim Seeley did it, and it just finished up because I remember Brian mentioned it on PCL that um I think it for the Tuppies this last year for comic book because the series had just finished and it went eight trades. Um, but Tim Seeley did it, and I think he's doing isn't he doing Nightwing on Rebirth? I'm not positive. He's I, doing I kept up with it. He's doing someone on on uh, Rebirth too right now, but yeah, it's been great. I've read I've read through the first four trades, and I'll, I have the rest of them. I just got to finish them because I remember I read the first trade and I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna get all of them because <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was just that good. Like it was an incredible first volume, and it's just so easy to keep reading it because it just builds on this mystery that we like. I I'm still four I'm four trades in, and I still don't know. We don't know what the actual cause is. Like you find out, like there's they have ideas of what it could be, but nothing's confirmed at it at this point. Wow, I've I've got that first volume of it saved on my Comicsology Unlimited, and um, that that same day I also put the complete collection of Girls by the Luna Brothers on there, and I got so wrapped up in reading Girls, I read that entire thing, and it's like, God, what was it like, almost six hundred pages or something like that. That's how I was with Alex and Ada from him. Like I, I read all three trades back to back. Like I read the whole series just right, right in a row. I don't know if it, it has to just be his writing. Like the way he just writes stuff has to be just. I like I don't like Eternal Empire has been great so far, and I don't know how long he's planning on making that go. Maybe twenty issues because I mean Alex and Ada only went fifteen, but he's really good at telling these compelling stories in three to four arcs. Yeah, Girls was very interesting. I um and it had a lot of that same like panel and um dialogue structure as Alex and Ada where it's like it's a it is a dialogue heavy book. You know, you get lots of you really learn the characters uh, yep. in a in a Luna book cuz he has the characters speaking to each other a lot and interacting with each other a lot. And um Girls was has anybody else read Girls? 
No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't either. Okay. It takes place in this tiny little town, and there's this like event that happens where this this dude, this local guy, like blows up at the local bar and like calls out like all these like mostly women around and basically makes a giant ass of himself and goes outside and like there's this big boom and all the windows around town are shattered and he's driving home and there's this like naked beautiful woman on the side of the road and like she's got like a cut on her arm and she's bleeding and so he stops and like he's asking her if she's okay and all she's doing is just repeating his words back at him and so he's just like all right come on and takes her back to his house and patches up her arm and gives her some food. And then she leans in and kisses him. And then, you know, one thing leads to another and they end up having sex. And the next morning he leaves to go talk to the town cop about, you know, saying, Hey, I found this, this lady on the side of the road. She was injured. She hasn't done much talking. And, um, when he leaves, like she's in the bathroom, like making all these sounds and he's just kind of like, <laughs> Like, okay, like, whatever, she's still super hot. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny, like, he thinks she's there taking some power dump or whatever. <laughs> and so the the cop, like, immediately wants to arrest him, right? Because he's saying, you know, I don't know what you did, but you blew out the windows in, my, in the bar and in my squad car. And, you know, the main character, Ethan, he's just like, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with this. And they go back to his place, and he's like, you know look, you know, there's this woman, like she's, she's in the bathroom and like he opens the bathroom door and like, she's in there, but there's all these giant eggs in there with her. Whoa. And it's like, what the, the fuck? fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this <laughs> first of many, what the fuck <laughs> moments in, in this book, but it is so intriguing. And those eggs crack open and fully formed girls, like clones of the original pop <laughs> out. <laughs> and like they immediately try and kill the girl that's with them. And, and oh, then, that's like, fucked the, up. Oh, and then like the dude's house fucking burns down, and and all of a sudden these girls are around town, and every time they see another woman, they try and kill that woman. And then every time they see a guy, they try and seduce the guy. And if a guy actually has sex with her, the girl will, like lay more of these eggs, and then more of these girls pop up. And then when they try to leave town, they find out that there's this big barrier around town. So they're all trapped. And like it quickly devolves into the women distrusting the men because, you know, hey, every time one of you men, you know, pulls your stupid fucking dick out and just wants to have sex with one of these things, you know, it creates more of them and they want to kill us. And so it's this it's this great social commentary on like. Like the the way that the women are looking at the situation, the way that the men are looking at the situation, how the cooler heads that are trying to prevail and bring everybody together, and just with this crazy backdrop, and like there's more to it that I won't get into, but suffice to say, if if you read Alex and Ada or or Eternal Empire, and and you like the Luna Brothers stuff, this is not one to miss. I mean, Girls is great. If you have if you have Comicsology Unlimited, you can read the complete collection for free. So I mean, nice. you can't beat that. Oh, nice. Yeah, I gotta check that out. Yeah, it, it wraps up strong, too. It's got a very good ending, and it, there are so many what-the-fuck moments in that book. Like, <laughs> It's just crazy. While you were talking about it, um, something triggered it in my head, but when, uh, when do you think we're going to get Sacred Creatures coming back? 
Oh, I don't know. I'll have to look that up because I was actually looking through the like earlier. I was like kind of looking at all the the books of my pull list, and I was like, man. It's like, what do you want to talk about tonight? Like, you have some more stuff. And I actually looked at Sacred Creatures and thought, like, oh, I can't wait till this comes back. And then yeah. I had the same thought about Old Guard. And <laughs> I seriously, like those tonight. those two. And then uh, isn't Paper Girls going on a little one for a bit? They're yeah, not coming back. Yeah, I think till June. Yeah, they're not coming back till June. Um, I think it's next week. We're finally getting fucking issue twenty of southern bastards and then that's probably oh, going to go yes. on a, that's probably going to go on another break you would think if that's the end of the arc yeah have you been reading so, southern bastards at all rebecca is that the vampire book no that's redneck no southern bastards yeah, is, that's redneck. Um, it's it's got a, like a lot of football to it yeah why why am i not reading that one um yeah I, i'm not reading that book um, I, like I'm not big into like vampires and zombies and stuff. So if 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 books have that kind of stuff, I tend to not be interested in them. So I don't know if that's if that's one of those. Nope, this is just an absolutely real world take on like the kind of this southern small town crime drama. Like uh, the the very first trade is it's it's almost like a part two of Walking Tall. Oh, okay. Where, oh, yeah. I would, I would be into that. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, this old guy goes back to the town that he grew up in. And when he was a kid, his dad was like this sheriff that took a stick and cleaned up this town. Right. And then when his dad mm-hmm. died, they stuck the stick in the, in the dirt, you know, behind his gravestone. And then this guy hated his dad, did not get along with him, actually like went to Vietnam to get away from his dad and didn't even come back for his dad's funeral. But his uncle took over his dad's house. His uncle dies. And so, you know, this main character comes back into town and the stick that was stuck in his dad's grave is now like this big giant tree. Oh, yeah. And one and like in the first issue, like he's at like this local barbecue place and he sees like how, you know, violent and, you know, the criminals have kind of taken over town again and it's kind of bugging him. But at the same time, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He just wants to leave. And, um, yeah, lightning strikes that tree and like sticking out of like the stump is that stick like his dad had had. And so like you read this book and you're like, oh my God, there's this, this destiny. Like I I believe the main character's name is Earl Tubbs. Is that right, Rod? Yeah. And so you think that there's this great destiny around Earl and there's a huge twist at the end of volume one that, that I will not give away because it's just too good. And if you read volume one of Southern bastards and you don't immediately want to pick up volume two, then I don't know what else to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, one of, it's one of those like issue four or five. I think it'd be the issue five twists where you're like, huh? <laughs> like, this oh, that's is amazing. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I had it in my head that that was the vampire book. And I was just like, meh, not my thing. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that sounds like I would, I would like that. I, I, yeah, well, that that movie, Walking Tall with the Rock. I, I actually, I love that movie. It's yeah, a I little bit of too. a guilty, it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, but I, I love the hell out of that movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, because who doesn't like to see, you know, a, a homegrown boy come back and like beat up the bad guys with a baseball bat? Like it's fun. So, yeah. well, that was like a a two thousands movie that was very reminiscent of like. 90s action movies oh that that's a good call absolutely and 
Uh, I think it was like one of the rocks first performances before he got like, he's like gigantic now. Like he's like the size of three people. So this is back (laughs) when he was like the size of a person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's got, he's gotten bigger over the years. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen that meme where it like shows him like, where he's like real small and then it shows him like in his wrestling days. And then it shows it's like the progression of it. And it's like, he hasn't even reached his final form. And then it's like, yeah, it's dude, thing. we have not seen his final form. I'm telling you, he's going to like go all Cthulhu on us or something. Like it's, it's insane. He's going to end up looking like Bane does in the comics. Oh yes. <laughs> it's going to be just crazy big. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, no, have you read a- any of the Batman uh, Teenage Mutant Inter- Ninja Turtle crossover books? Not the current one. Rod and I were talking about that earlier. I read the first one that came out a couple of years ago. I kind of picked it up on a on a whim. I saw it and I was like, eh, why not? I loved it. It was great. It was a lot of fun. I actually ended up um, collecting the whole series um, and then I bought the trade and then I ended up giving away my individual issues to a friend who wanted it for their kids. So I just said, I gave it to them as a gift. Um, so I, I have the trade. Um, but man, what, what a good story. Like it was a really, really, it was fun, unexpected. And, um, I, I know Rod's reading the, the new one issue to issue. I'm, I'm going to wait for the trade on, on this one. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil anything with it. I just kind of wanted to give a shout out to how great the second one has been so far. Uh, it's going to be a six issue series, right, Rod? Yep, another six issue. Yep, yep. And so the fifth one just came out today, and uh, Rod and I have both read up through that one, and just it's just as good as that first oh, one. Nice. Like it's it's great. the The art is amazing. So this is written by James Tyne in the fourth. Uh, art is by Freddie E. Williams II. And um, it, it's just great. The, um, it's when Donatello goes looking for a new mentor to help him improve his fighting skills. He opens a doorway to another reality, hoping to summon the Turtles' one-time ally, Batman. But instead, he gets sent to Gotham City and someone else comes through the open portal, Bane. Suddenly, there's a new gang boss in New York, and he's out to unite all the other bad guys under him. Can Donnie get back in time and bring Batman with him to help his brothers before Bane causes irreparable destruction? I love the way this guy draws Bane. <laughs> like, Seriously. It's, like, it's the best drawings God. of Bane I've ever seen. That's awesome. It, like, it's, it's crazy because, um, yeah, I fucking love Freddie Williams' art. Uh, it's it's frustrating because, like, um, so he did the first. He, they did the exact same creative team from the first crossover, and all those covers are f- incredible. Like, they're so cool. Like, some of them, like in the first crossover, you have on the cover you get. So you have like Shredder's helmet, but then the way he drew the art and the reflection of Shredder's helmet, you see like a couple of the Ninja Turtles and you see Batman, and just the ideas that they come up with some with for the covers are are great. And yeah, this story has been awesome and it's cool that we're getting like in the first crossover is basically just Batman had to fight shredder in mm-hmm. Gotham city compared right. to, so in this one, getting to see the interaction of different villains from now Batman's world with the turtles is great. 
and I love I love the interaction that we've been getting, um, Joe, between uh, Michelangelo and and uh, Damien. <laughs> yeah, and Raphael and Damien as well. Oh yeah, like that yeah, interaction they're, they're is great. They're both hilarious for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's just some great panels with it. Like yes, and then it's just so cool the way I've noticed it in this one more than a lot of other comics that I've been reading that the the layout in that in this six issue in this mini series is all so different with some of the pa- like with some of the pages like of how every like all the how the lettering's laid out how the actual panels are done it just seems like they give you a lot there's a lot of things going on but the way they lay it out it doesn't distract from anything yeah yeah their page layouts are definitely setting the book apart um, I, I love the, the art choice that they'll do where they'll have like a huge profile shot of Bane that takes up, you know, maybe half the page or something like that. But then they have all the panels structured in around it. And so it's like that big picture of Bane. And then there's like, you know, some speech bubbles and stuff with it. It just kind of works into that first panel. It, it's almost reminiscent when you read like a like an old storybook or something and like the very first letter will be like really big and flowery and stuff. And then the rest of the sentence paragraph structure will just kind of go around it. It's like they're doing that with the art and mm. it, it does a really, really, especially cause it's so good. Like, I don't know. I almost wish I should have, I almost wish I would have just taken screenshots when I was reading it earlier. So I could just send it to you in the group text. So you could see what I mean. I mean, this is, it, it's just amazing. Like, if you're a fan of Batman, you're a fan of the Turtles, this is not one to miss. Mm-hmm. I, I loved the first one. It was a lot of fun. But, you know, I'm a fan of a lot of those, like, I'm a fan of those fun crossovers. Last year or the year before, I read a crossover that was He-Man and Thundercats, which I don't know, Rod, if, if you would particularly be interested in it because you're a little younger than I am, but... J- Joe, did you watch He-Man and and Thundercats when you were a kid? Oh, I had all the He-Man stuff when I was a kid. I had a Castle Grayskull. I had a Battle Cat that I could actually sit on. Oh, you had all (laughs) the cool stuff. I had a lot of stuff. And then what's funny is um, a few months ago, the boys were hanging out with me, and I noticed that He-Man was on Netflix, and so I was like, I had him watch the first episode oh, and like they were glued to it, but I was watching it being like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I used to like this so much. Joe, it's terrible. Don't it's ever go so, back and watch so it. So terrible. No, I didn't make it past the first episode. It was absolutely <laughs> awful. But the, the same thing happened to me. Like Netflix has on He-Man, they have on She-Ra, they have on the original Voltron. And I got so excited. I was like, oh my God, He-Man. And I watched the first episode and I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. <gasps> it's, it's better <gasps> this in your memory. Shit. Oh, it was like, in my memory, it was this incredible cartoon that was so much fun. And and now I watch it as an adult, and I'm like, this is crap. Why did I watch this? But, uh, Rod, did did you ever watch He-Man, or or did you watch Thundercats at all when you were a kid? No, I didn't. That was a little bit for me. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I I get that. Mm -hmm. um, But actually, the fact that you're talking about the He-Man Thunderbolts crossover is that Freddie Williams did the art in that, too. Yes, you're right. He nice. did. So I, I I just sent you guys a photo of that. Yep. I think it's the first page or the first that, cover of it, that's exactly and you can see that color. art. It's the exact same. Like, I how would you describe this art, Joe? Is it? It's not watercolor, is it? It's almost like 
colored pencil mixed with it's almost like a colored pencil drawing wouldn't you say almost that is what it yeah. looks like yeah it's like yeah. colored pencil mixed with kind of like a watercolor to it because of just those shades of color to it it's awesome no it's it's gorgeous artwork and actually last year at new york comic-con i met freddie williams he was in artist alley and he signed my trade super cool guy by the way really nice guy um but yeah i i read the the the, the E-Man Thundercats crossover, a lot of fun. And so if you're like in my and Joe's age range, like upper 30s into your 40s and you remember like this is like the best of both worlds because you've got I was a huge Thundercats fan. I loved the Thundercats like that was my show. And like He-Man, I kind of had to fight to watch He-Man because you know, I, I grew up in I grew up in a time where it was like, you know, girls don't watch shows like that. So uh, I I got a lot of flack for watching shows like He-Man and like Transformers and Voltron, G.I. Joe, because those weren't like girly shows. Um, like all the girls my age, a lot of them were watching stuff like Rainbow Bride and My Little Pony. And not there's anything wrong with that. I watched those shows, too, when I was a kid. But they also like this kind of stuff. But um, yeah, this I I would recommend that too. Like if anybody's in that age range and enjoys that nostalgia factor, um, so much fun, so much fun to watch like the Thundercats and He Man teaming up to battle Skeletor. Like it's super cool. Like Joe, I think you would like it. Oh it's yeah, a lot no, of, it's I'll, a lot of fun. I will check it out, especially knowing that Freddie Williams did the art on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I love those fun crossovers. I'm a big nostalgia fan, though. Like I I eat that shit up. I love nostalgia. So it's uh, except when you then watch it on again, and you're like, oh. That's, I was <laughs> just, just gonna say. Uh, apparently, just, if you if you're browsing through Netflix and you get nostalgic seeing that, just get on Amazon and order this instead. Yeah, exactly. Do not. <laughs> Don't do what I did and watch the show thinking you were going to relive your childhood. You will just be disappointed. Just <laughs> go and get this trade and read it. And in your head, you can hear all the voices you remember from your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, one of the books that I read earlier was, um, okay, so you had referenced our other podcast earlier, Number One Comic Books. We had our first episode came out last week, and one of the um, books that I had brought up was Deathbed by Joshua Williamson. Well, Deathbed number two just came out today. Nice. And, and I read that, and I really like the direction it's going. Um, I, I didn't see it taking the route that it did, but it's, uh, it's very interesting. And the main character, this Luna guy, is, I mean, he's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> 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 and uh yeah so uh good shit so yeah if if you want to hear more about uh deathbed definitely check out that first issue we did or yeah first issue we did of number one comic books and uh you can uh hear us talk about deathbed a little bit on there in one of the mm-hmm. uh, latter later segments of the show that's going is that a five issue or is that six i think it's gonna go six okay I gotta yeah. pick that up. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the comic shop tomorrow. I'm gonna pick up Deathbed because you've got me intrigued. And you know, Joshua Williams said, I mean, you're really you can't really go wrong. I mean, he's he's writing good stuff. Uh so yeah. Great stuff. I, I'll, I, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. He, 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 <laughs> thank you. It is great stuff. <laughs> Rod's like, excuse me. No, it's not good. It's great. 
No, it's you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, you know, can can I talk real quick about an ongoing um, series that I'm that I'm reading? Yeah. Okay, I'll be real quick because I don't think this is in your guys' wheelhouse. Um, I, you guys know, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Um, IDW puts out uh, Star Trek comics. Uh, back in June of last year, they started a new run, which was Star Trek Boldly Go, and it is based in the J.J. Abrams verse. So it's those, um, it's that iteration. So the characters look like the actors from the movies that are currently out. So, you know, Captain Kirk looks like Chris Pine and uh, Spock looks like Zachary Quinto and, and et cetera. So it's now up to issue 17. And if you are a Star Trek fan, uh, as I am, this is a really great series because what it does is, you know, it's based in the J.J. Abrams universe, which is a reboot of the Prime universe, uh, which is, you know, Shatner and, Nimoy and all that. Um, so what they're doing is they're pulling in storylines from the original series. So they're pulling in storylines from the 1966 um, original series Star Trek, which I love. And they're they've they're sort of updating them with these newer looking characters, and they're having them go on all of these amazing adventures. And I won't give too much away, but if you just pick up the first trade. The very first issue ends with such a huge cliffhanger and such a big shock to Star Trek fans, like not in a bad way, in a good way, that immediately I couldn't wait to read the next one. So it's through IDW. It's called Star Trek Boldly Go. um, And it's being written by Mike Johnson with art by Marcus Toe and colors by Marissa Louise. This is a fun book. And if you're a Trek fan, I really recommend this book. And, um, you know, it's it's out in trade now. You don't have to buy the individual issues. And IDW has tons of versions. Like, if you're not into the original series, you can pick up the Discover- the uh, Star Trek Discovery run. You can pick up Deep Space Nine. You can pick up um, older runs like Starfleet Academy, which are all good. But um, I'm really I'm, – I'm loving this stuff. And, uh, like, for, for a Trek fan like me who loves the original series – this is so good. It's so much fun to read and like be back in that universe. Um, but without the lens flares from JJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I won't talk too much more about it, but um No, it sounds yeah, great. It's, it's a lot of fun. Like I would say if you could get the if you get your hands on the first trade and you don't have to pay for it, because if it's not in your wheelhouse, like I get that, you know, obviously. But um if you can get your hands on the first trade by any means possible and read the first couple of issues. If the storyline pulls you in, I think you would enjoy it because it really goes places that I was as a Trek fan. I was really surprised that they went certain places, but again, in a good way, like in a really fun, interesting way. So, and IDW does a lot of these things, you know, they do the GI Joe series. They do the Transformers series. I think they do Dr. Who. So they do a lot of these sort of pop culture properties and they put out comics about them and it's a whole lot of fun. And, and, and these are Canon as far as the Star Trek universe goes, which is, which is really cool. Oh, that is pretty cool that they're making them Canon. Yeah. Yeah. There are, yeah, they, they are part of Canon, which is neat. Um, yeah, but like as, as I said, like for me as a fan of the original series, which was my first exposure to Star Trek, um, this is a lot of fun. 
because there's storylines here that I remember they're straight from the original series. Um, and it's so much fun to see them in comic form now and watch, you know, Captain Kirk and Spock going on their adventures and stuff. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, that first Star Trek, the reboot one. I've seen that probably like a half dozen times or so. I've only seen okay. darkness once. And, and like I was out camping with friends and like we were watching it like on a projector with like a little mini projector that like attached to an iPhone. So, I mean, it was the okay. novelty of that like made it kind of cool that we were like in this log cabin in the middle of nowhere, but we were like had all these lanterns hung up that were powered by USB and like there was a little USB power bank. <laughs> so like, so it's like, cool. like I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I'm watching Star Trek. I haven't seen this one yet. Like, ooh. It's so like I liked it a lot, and then like I've heard lots of people talk shit on Into Darkness, and so I'm like, maybe I need to revisit that. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot was, of people whose opinions I trust didn't like it, but I want, definitely wanted to hear what you thought of that. Well, in, Into Darkness, um, the the first time I saw it, I liked it. Um, because it's Trek has to be pretty bad for me not to like it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like it has to be terrible for me to be like, Oh my God, I cannot watch this. Um, example, Star Trek five. Ugh, do not watch that movie. It is atrocious. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just warning you all now. Don't ever watch it. It's terrible. Um, so the first time I saw it, I liked it. Um, but I liked Benedict Cumberbatch and I thought he was good upon like second and third viewings. I, it, it lost a lot of shine for me because the story was very paint by numbers and JJ Abrams was very much pandering to the fans by giving, by giving us a flip story on the Kirk and Spock stuff from the from the original Star Trek 2 and then making Benedict Cumberbatch out to be Khan it was it was so much like fan service and pandering that I I didn't enjoy it upon like second and third viewings and I now I'm sort of just like very meh about it I don't really like it that much yeah I haven't seen Beyond yet I liked Beyond I'm not gonna lie um the it's not a perfect movie um but i liked it better than into darkness and simon Pegg co-wrote that one um the the third one and i i like his comedy i like his writing so i felt like it did a lot for the movie and i also feel like the creature design like the alien design is absolutely gorgeous um in that movie. And I'm really pissed because they were up for an Oscar and lost to fucking suicide squad. And that really bothers me. <laughs> that killer croc. <sighs> that bothers me so much that suicide <laughs> squad is an Oscar winning movie. Like it makes me want to vomit to say that <laughs> it really bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! But I, I Killer enjoyed Croc the has like design. one of your lines though. He's like, "Y'all a bunch of tourists." Yeah, <laughs> y'all need to get the fuck out of my way. I'm walking to work. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> oh 
God, Killer Croc. <laughs> Go back I, to Starcast episode. What was that? Six? Oh seven? gosh, what was it? Yeah, where Rebecca gets angry at Taurus. Yeah, that's like every day in my life where I get angry at Taurus. Yeah, Star. I don't know. I I like Star Trek Beyond. Not everybody does, but I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, but I thought I thought that the creature design, like or the alien design, was like gorgeous in that. In, in that one. Yeah, I kind of remember from the trailers that it looked really, they they had kind of neat look to them. Was, um, oh, what's that dude? Was Heimdall in that? Oh, uh, Idris Elba? Yeah. I believe that he was. Um, I think that he was. Hang on, I'm going to look it up real quick. I think that he <laughs> was into that, though. I think he was. I think he was in that movie. Yeah, because I remember hearing his name and then looking in the trailers and being like, "Oh, there's so much like makeup and prosthetics and stuff on the on this alien race." It's like I would I wouldn't even be able to tell if that's him or not. You need to watch the Wire. I never watched the Wire. Oh, it's fucking good, (laughs) dude. There's so much TV that I've been told is awesome that it's like. I would love to watch it. I like watching awesome TV, but it's, I just never have the time to anymore. It's, I still haven't fucking started Jessica Jones. It's so sad. It was like back yeah. when it was like one of the very first, um, like big roles that Michael B. Jordan had. He was like eight or nine in the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's pretty yeah. cool. And he was, he's in the first season of it and he, and he's fucking good in it. So, it's pretty cool to just, like see him, see him how much he's progressed, like going from that to then on the Friday Night Lights to then doing the movies that he's done with Creed and now Black Panther. It's fucking awesome. Uh, excuse me, you've neglected to mention the Josh Trank Fantastic Four. Yeah, we're leaving that out. That's not, that wasn't his fault. <laughs> that wasn't his fault. Help me read. <laughs> we should do a drunken commentary episode oh. on that sometime. We're yes, really yes, drunk, drunk and we all start it the movie at the same time and we have it on mute and we just make fun of it the whole time like MST3K style. I would, I would so be down with that. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh my god. That would be that pretty funny. Movie, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a good idea. That movie is so bad, you guys. <laughs> like, it's so bad. It's ter- like, what happened? Like, <laughs> i've only seen it once too so it'll almost be like like movie amnesia you know because i don't really remember all that much of it there are like certain parts of it that i remember and it was just like oh my that is so terrible like the the look of dr doom um one of those ones that always pops up in my head is when um uh reed is like down in like mexico or something like that and he's changed his face so he looks more more ethnic down there and it's like what are you thinking doing that in a fucking movie hold on this day and age you can't do that white people no no (laughs) stop it white people just stop it um i fell asleep halfway through that movie like i fell asleep halfway through the movie and i i woke up and 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 the credits were rolling um and my friend who was over, she managed to watch the whole thing. And um, 
And I woke up and I was like, oh, I fell asleep. The movie's over. And she looked at me. She's like, yeah. And I'm really angry that you fell asleep and missed it because I had to watch this thing by myself <laughs> without anybody <laughs> without anybody to make fun of it with me. And I'm like, why didn't you just turn it off? And then she was like, because I just, she's like, at that point, I was just so invested. I had to see how this stupid thing turned out. Like, it was. Like, it's so bad, you just have to see how it ends, you know, at this point. Like, you have to know, and that's where she was. (laughs) (laughs) I had listened to the Fat Man on Batman episode where Josh Trank was on there. And so I had heard that before I ever saw the movie. And I think those, I think he was on that podcast before the movie was released. Because then I think he was supposed to be on... Again, like Kevin Smith had him on for some like two episodes, like talking about because I think the first one he was talking about um, uh, Chronicle, and then he was talking about how excited he was doing Fan Four Stick, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he was supposed to be on again afterwards. And then, like, if you go back and listen to those Fat Man on Batman's after that, Kevin Smith eventually says something like. Yeah, I don't think he wants to be on and talk about that. <laughs> like, the way well, he says it's very funny. Because, you know, Kevin Smith always tries to be super positive about everything. Uh-huh. Like, there's nobody better at shining a turd than Kevin Smith. I mean, I love the guy, but <laughs> sometimes you got to call, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, what it is. I agree. But yeah, there were, like, stories. Oh, my God. We're, like, all over the place now. But, like, yeah, there, there were – this is a real StarCast episode. We went from Batman <laughs> playing golf. To Fantastic Four, like I mean, that's a Starcast episode if I ever heard one. But we, there were stories coming out that he was had like locked himself in his trailer, and he was like furiously changing every day. There were rewrites, and the actors never had like ten minutes to learn lines. Crazy shit like that, and um, like no one knew where this movie was going, and it was so over budget. That at that point it was like they just pressured him just to finish it so that they could release the damn thing. And it was just so terrible. (gasps) (laughs) Rod, you saw it, right? I have not seen it. Oh, oh God! I refuse. I refuse. To, I refuse to go see it. And then, then when I heard how bad it was, I was like, I'm not going to even try no, no, to watch no, no, this. No, 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 Joe. You and I are going to have to go to Rod's house. We are <laughs> going to have to restrain him and make him watch this movie with us. No, that just cemented the yeah. We're doing the commentary thing, and you have to be on that episode. Yes, <laughs> you have to, Rod. You, you're no choice for All you, right, my I'm friends. In. You have to do it. <laughs> it's just oh my god! It doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's is just, it like apocalypse bad? Uh, I think it's worse than apocalypse. That, to be honest what I was with just you. Gonna say. Because Apocalypse at least, had some cool parts in it. Yes, Apocalypse had a story that you could follow. It didn't always like. It didn't always. Um, it wasn't always executed right, but there was a story there that you could follow the thread. There is no thread in Fantastic Four. There, there. Uh, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what's happening. I don't. I mean, it is just. It makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And God, 
I mean, Michael B. Jordan was rescued by Marvel. Uh, like they rescued Chris Evans from his fantastic four days. Like it was crazy. <laughs> At least like Chris's movie, the first one is decent. I'm not saying it's like, I'm no, not it's saying a guilty it's like pleasure Avengers. Movie yeah, it, it is. It's not great. I mean, there's a lot of cheese in it. You know, I promise you with my dying breath, I will fix you. I, I get, yeah, it's very comic booky, <laughs> and it's fun for what it is. And Chris keeps burning off his shirts. I mean, yeah, I like that kind of stuff. So there you go. You know, let's be honest. And I, did, I had some problems of- with that one, too. I did. I did not like their big rubber thing suit. I mean, that was the practical effect for the thing like did not work for me. Um, I didn't buy that mm-hmm. Jessica Alba would be with the dude who was playing Reed oh. Richards. No, it's like no, that's no. oh yeah. No. <laughs> <She's not laughs> I, a, I, I loved mean, I loved the Doom in it though. He was fucking great. Oh, that um, actor, yeah, he's a good actor. He's he's great. I mean, he's like, in Runaways. Yes, he is. He plays yeah. um. He plays uh, Respirator Gollum. That's why I can think of Respirator Gollum that's so much better. That's why and Brian called him the tire. I love that. He said we called him Respirator Gollum. <laughs> I couldn't even think of his real name. <laughs> I was making toast in the morning. The first time I was, I was just playing Runaways. <laughs> and I, I was laughing so for I like remember peanut buttering toast and laughing. Really? Respirator Gollum. <laughs> Brian came out of nowhere with that uh, and he's respirator golem and I, and I said I said whatever whoever he turns out to be let's just call him that the rest of the show <laughs> I love that name that's hilarious no he was great at runaways and he was he was pretty good in the, I thought he was a really good villain he was a fun like over the top comic book villain, right? Victor Von Doom with a name like that. You gotta be a little over the top. Um but yeah, Jessica Alba, I, I don't know. I, I don't think she's a very good actor personally. She's all right. I get I mean, you know, she was the invisible woman and you got to see her in her in her like her panties and underwear and, and her bra, and that's fun for the guys, and that's I get that, you know. I'm not gonna lie; it was fun for us gals to see Chris shirtless, you know. So okay, w- with that though, that scene when they're on the bridge, they're like, "We need a distraction to get past all these cops," and then she has to like get naked, and then she like loses like her focus, and so she becomes visible again, gets dressed, mm-hmm. and then doesn't she take off her clothes again? And then they pick up her clothes and just follow her into the police yeah. line. Yes, yeah, something like, what like was the that. Point of all that? <laughs> uh, why, why did she need to be invisible to get through there? But then, like nerdy dude in in Chris Evans can just walk through carrying a pile of women's clothing. Yeah, I know it. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> like I said, I know I know what that is. I know what that movie is, and I did not like the second one. I thought it was really. What a what a waste of a good character, Silver Surfer. Yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed just seeing Silver Surfer on the screen, but a lot of the other stuff in that one, like it, the depiction of Galactus, it like makes me barf in my mouth. No, no, it's um, it's bad. It's it's, it's not <laughs> a great movie. I I agree. It's but, not. But I mean, jo- that Josh was, Trank movie. <laughs> yeah, say, but that that other one though, I've that is a guilty pleasure movie for me. Like I've watched it a lot. 
but there are parts like I complained about the bridge scene, uh, the the part with the nurse where I'm like, oh, of course the nurse is also an extreme skier. Duh! <laughs> of course she is. So everyone does. Is everyone extreme skier, Joe? No. What's funny though? Um. So with Apocalypse, so I I had I saw it maybe a year and a half after it came out. Okay. I saw it on like HBO or something. Mm-hmm. So. I'm pretty sure it was it was shortly after the movie came out. Um, Brian had changed in PCL that opening of um, Fastbender crying like when his family gets killed, <laughs> and okay. I I had no clue where that was from. And then when I'm watching the movie for the first time and that happens, I just started laughing. And it was supposed <laughs> to be like a serious thing. It's like my babies. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Fastbender actually did that. I started, just, I just broke out laughing like the first time I heard. I'm just at work, busting out laughing at it. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know my my issue with Apocalypse was if he okay. This is this is the problem with a character like Apocalypse, right? He's so powerful and he can pop in and out of this dimensional portal or whatever he's traveling around with, with his posse. And he's like picking people up and turning shit into sand. And it's like, wait a minute, you can do all of this stuff. Why do you need to collect a group of people to help you? That makes zero sense. He would pop in and he'd talk and then nothing would happen. And then he'd leave. And then another scene would happen. And he'd pop in and talk. And nothing would happen. And he'd leave. And the character of Storm was so wasted in that movie that they gave her nothing to do. She had a mohawk and she stood there and looked cool. Like, that was it. What 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 happened? <laughs> that 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 movie was like an abomination. I hated that film. After that movie, I said, "I'm never watching another X Men movie again." I I I you'd have to. The only other movie I saw, like really an X Men movie, I saw Logan. That was it. I I will I I'm doubt I will see this new one that's coming out. What are they calling it? I don't even know. Um, uh, the the I guess Dark Phoenix. Yep, Dark Phoenix. Jeez, it's gonna be terrible. Uh, I, of course, it's gonna be terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, ref- I refuse to see an X Men movie in theaters. I saw Logan in theaters, but I won't go see just an X Men movie in theaters no. anymore. God, no! I, I, it's not. <laughs> and what a shame because I loved that first one, like the first X Men movie, like with Anna Paquin and. Um, yeah, the uh, first one was great. Yeah, that one was. Days of Future Even- Past was great. Oh, Days of Future Past. I mean, arguably, probably, if maybe the best in the franchise. Although even First Class is damn good too. I was just gonna say First Class has got a lot of really good scenes. Yeah, the villain that uh, Kevin Bacon played. So good. But how many times can you make an X Men movie where Magneto? And Professor X face off against each other, and then at the very end, in the third act, Magneto's like, okay, just this one time, Charles, we'll team up and we'll do it together. You've done it three times now! (laughs) Just become an X-Men, for God's sake! Like, you're no longer a villain! (laughs) It's... I, I don't know. It's just, it's so frustrating. I can't take it. I just, I just can't. They should just, I mean, 
God, just sell the whole damn thing. Although I guess with Disney deal goes through, Disney will have them again uh, under under the Marvel banner. So maybe they'll do something with them in a couple of years. That would be interesting to see them start <sighs> popping up in the MCU. I mean, that would be a whole new world, right? So let me ask you guys a question. In a perfect world, Disney Fox deal goes through, right? Whether you like it or not, the Disney Fox deal goes through. Disney slash Marvel now has control over Fantastic Four and X-Men. How do you introduce them into the universe? Organically. How how would you guys do it? I know this is totally off the cuff, but... Um, I have a. I've been thinking about this for a while, so I have an idea. But I, I'd love to know what you guys think. I think you'd have to introduce them in in a solo movie with them, and mm-hmm. kind of do the solo movie in the correct way, and meaning try and stick to the source material, like especially like you know that like older, real popular. Um, was it Chris? Chris Claremont stuff. It's it's the Rod Claremont line. Uh, Rod <laughs> get it right, Joe. Get it right. <laughs> but um, and then like you show it being connected to the rest of the MCU, maybe just with something even like characters like watching something where it references something the Avengers did on the news or something like that, and you could even. You know, put some stuff in that they're kind of hanging back because they don't want to come out to the world that, you know, mutants and all that, you know, because that was always kind of a thread through the comics that, you know, there was a, a, a level of, you know, obvious wariness and stuff with the world because, I mean, that was the, that was really the, the thing with a lot of the X-Men comics was, you know, is, uh, I'm totally stalling on the way well, I'm trying to, it's like, like it was like a metaphor like, for like, there you go. Like, it, it was like a metaphor <laughs> for like, like racial tension that was happening. It's still happening in our country. Yes. That is what I was trying to articulate and failing fucking miserably. Thank you for, <laughs> for rescuing me. It's okay. It's that I, I know you so well now. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, um, I feel like yeah. That, that's how they would have to throw it in, though. Yeah, like you were saying, Joe, that you kind of just have to introduce them in their own thing first and then maybe slowly bring them into other things with uh, the Marvel side. But it'd be cool, too, since kind of Marvel and Sony have worked out a little deal. I feel like a cool way you could um, introduce the Fantastic Four into, I guess, the MCU is I know they did in the comics. They had like a they had a Human Torch Spider Man team up. You could do something, maybe throw in Tom Holland in there with whoever they would cast as like the next Human Torch in the Fantastic Four, and hopefully that'd be a good movie. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea. So, like, my thing that I've been thinking about is like, okay, all this time, right? We've got a ten year universe going on. With like Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and blah, blah, blah. So if you introduce like, let's say, Fantastic Four or you introduce uh, the X-Men, either you introduce them as like brand new, like this just happened. Or if you go the route of they've been around, but where have they been? Why haven't they jumped in to help the Avengers kind of a thing? What about that they've been stuck in the negative zone? 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. What do you like? That's the idea that's like bouncing around my head. Like, could you do a movie where, let's say, Fantastic Four have been stuck in the negative zone, and then they get maybe you get Captain Marvel to release them or something like if you want to go that route or uh, Guardians or Thor or whatever. And and now they're out and they've lost, you know, they thought they were in there for just like, I don't know, a couple of minutes or a couple of days, but they've been in there for 10 years. And that's where they've been all this time. And now they're back in, the, in, in our world kind of a thing. That'd be a fun way to bring 80s characters into a Right? Like, like you could have yeah. that whole, like, um, you could have a whole, like, um, they're stuck in the 80s and they're, like, fish out of water. Like, that's always a good story, a fish out of water story. You could do that kind of thing. And, and I mean, you could, I mean, you could do any kind of thing you wanted to, really. You could rewrite, uh, you could rewrite their origin any way you like. Because they do that all the time. You know, they just take ideas from the comics and then rewrite it. But I don't know, like... I think that's probably like the only thing that like I'm excited about for that Disney Fox deal. Like um, is it's nice to have those characters back, but it's a shame that a whole studio is going to just disappear. Like, like Fox searchlight, are they still going to make their own movies? Like they, they put out some damn good stuff that I'd like to see them still keep doing that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I never like seeing big companies just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, there's just a loss. Of, inherently, there's a loss of creativity and competition. And on the one side, I am excited to see some of these characters join back, but I didn't want to see it happen like this. No, same here. Like I would have been happy if Fox sold the characters back. Like if, you know, if, if Fox just like looked at their universe and was like, well, fuck this, we, we suck at this. Let's just let the rights lapse and, let Marvel get their characters back. I would have been fine with that. Um, because like Rod was talking about, you know, Disney made a deal with Sony to, you know, get the loan out Spider-Man to them and they loan out Iron Man to Sony. Everybody makes money and everybody gets to keep their own studio. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Like (laughs) Sony can still, you know, keep the rights to Spider-Man, but they get to have Iron Man be in the movie. Like that's, you get double your audience. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fox should have just been like, yeah, we, we fucking suck with these superhero movies. We got some cool characters. Let's just make deals with Marvel because they know what's going on. So we'll let you use this character in a movie and then they can try to rebound off of that success and make a solo film off of whatever character they loan out. Right? Like, imagine if, like, Fox did that kind of deal, and they, let's say they loaned out the Fantastic Four to the to, to Marvel, and then Fox makes a Fantastic Four movie, and then they loan out, I don't know, they loan out Cap to them, or they loan out um, Thor, or... <sighs> loan out anybody and, and make it a fun buddy movie. Loan out the Hulk! Have him give, the, give him Hawkeye. Have him or give him Hawkeye. Nobody else seems to want him. That's a terrible thing. To Renner say. would love it. <laughs> Why not? Right? No, give him, give him Anthony Mackie. That guy will be in anything. I mean, my God, that guy will be in any Marvel movie, whatever. But or you know, give him the Hulk. Wouldn't that be fun? Seeing the Hulk and the things smashing and clobbering on screen together. That would be fun. Yeah, I want to see Warner Brothers give. Uh... Give all those DC characters the MCU. 
god. <laughs> not, not to mix them into the MCU. Just be like, hey, will you make our movies for us so that DC fans can have some really fucking good movies? God. Can, oh, God. It's just, Maybe one day. What a shame because I was just reading that Justice League was the lowest grossing DC movie to date. That is fucking shameful. That made me so sad because that movie should have made a billion dollars. Easily should have made a billion dollars. That movie should have been more successful than the Avengers. It should have been. Because you're going to give me Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and The Flash and Cyborg on one screen. Uh, like, sign me up. Uh, and, and Aquaman, whatever. On the same screen. Like, <laughs> you, <laughs> like it should have made a billion easily. And it didn't. And that makes me very sad. How many weeks did Justice League actually like stay in theaters? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Because wouldn't it be funny if Black Panther spent more weeks at number one than Justice League spent in theaters total? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Rod? I would would believe it. I would. Black Panther made more in what it's it's opening weekend than Justice League did domestically or something crazy like that. I mean, Jesus. I mean. Terrible, shameful, absolutely shameful that they rushed this whole universe. And and Joe, I know you enjoyed Aquaman in that movie, and I just I can't. I just can't. It's just not for me. And I mean, are you excited for the solo Aquaman movie later on this year? Are you I, I'm I'm <laughs> guessing you are. Because you you like the character though in, in the movie. It, yeah, but I liked the way he interacted with the other characters. I I, I, I don't look for any of the DC movies you don't, anymore. You don't want a two-hour of just Jason, or of Jason Momoa oh, talking? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not asking to be snarky to you, Joe, at all. Like, I oh, genuinely, no, I know, I know. You know I well, mean, if, the- if you enjoyed his performance, then that's that's great. I'm glad you liked it. No, I'm a huge DC fan, and it bums me out that I can't be like, yeah, I am excited. Uh, or to say, I've actually watched the copy of Justice League I own. <laughs> like, I just, I, I just can't say those things, and it's it fucking bums me out. Because when I look at my comic collection, I have ten times more DC books than I have Marvel books. Right. But when it comes to the movies, I like the MCU way better. I, I, they're just more entertaining movies to me. I think, uh, I think a lot of people feel the same way, obviously. I mean, Justice League should have done way better. And to be the least grossing one, that's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. That's just that, that, but I'm with you too, Joe. Like I read more DC books than I do Marvel books because I think DC is doing better comics than, than Marvel is doing right now. And and I grew up watching a lot of DC stuff, Justice League, Super Friends. Um, I do I do a Batman podcast for crying out loud. Like I like DC stuff. Um, the 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 Superman movies, uh, Superman one with uh, Christopher Reeve, is my number one favorite comic book movie of all time. But 
the MCU movies are just, they're just better right now. They're, yeah, they've had missteps, but they're just better overall than, than what, than what Warner Brothers is putting out with DC. And that is, that's just sad to me. Oh God. I, I mean, I loved Wonder Woman. I loved that movie, but other than that and like Man of Steel, I'm just not a fan. Yeah, I feel like with DC, like I haven't read it. I've read some DC and I've read a little bit of Marvel, but just from what I've read, definitely feel like DC has the the better stories. But Marvel, they've been able to like with the MCU, they've been able to bring the characters from the comics on the screen a lot better than DC's been able to do it. And then even though DC has the better stories when it comes to the comics, Marvel with the MCU has been able to take base ideas from comic stories and then really create their own stories very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Rod. I mean, that was like my biggest complaint with Batman v Superman semicolon Dawn of Justice. Like it's uh, why in the world would you jam in a Justice League origin story into that movie? Just give me Batman versus Superman. Don't give me Batman flipping tires for 20 minutes and then Wonder Woman checking her emails for half an hour and then <laughs> two minutes of fighting. Two, two, you know how much fighting there is versus how much preparation there was? It's Oh, ridiculous. yeah. No, that movie's just boring as hell. And it's so goddamn long. And then, and, like, and then I watched the extended version because I heard that it was quote unquote better. And then I was just like, this is like torturous. Like, someone come ask me secrets. I'll tell you anything you want to know. Just turn this movie <laughs> off. Like, I, I just, I, it was, it just, oh, what a shame, too, because Batman and Superman have never been on the same, have never been on the big screen together that I know of. But, uh, God. Terrible. Just shameful. It's just terrible. It's terrible. It is terrible. (laughs) It's not even terrible. It's terrible. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all that talking about Marvel versus DC, it did remind me that um, I have been reading a Marvel book that I've been enjoying a lot. It is the new miniseries of Legion that's been written by being written by Peter Milligan, art by Wilfredo Torres. Mm-hmm. Um, is anybody else reading that? I picked up the first issue and I haven't read it yet, but I know you picked it up. What 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 did you like about it? Okay, so I've read the first two so far, and uh, Legion is uh, David Holler, the son of Professor Charles Xavier, has always had trouble containing the multiple personalities in his mind, and with each personality comes a wild and dangerous mutant power. But now a terrifying new personality is threatening to absorb these powers and take over David's mind and body. In a desperate attempt to save himself, David seeks out the help of renowned young psychotherapist Hannah Jones to delve into his fractured mind and fight back this dark personality. But unknown to Legion, Dr. Jones brings her own demons with her. So far, just two issues in, it is really intriguing. The first issue is just David trying to find this doctor. And this second issue, he actually brings the doctor into his mind. Mm. And she's kind of got, there's one of David's personalities that's kind of guiding her through it. And there's this, the bad guy, it's like, I think it's like Mr. Trauma or Dr. Trauma maybe or something like that. 
that's like slowly like absorbing all of David's other personalities in his minds and like turning them into like his puppets. And like his overall goal is to eventually take over every single one of the personalities and then take over David himself. And um, for just two issues in, the art is really good. The story's been pretty riveting. And it's it's a serious ca- uh, take on it. There's There hasn't been really any silliness in it so far. And I, at first I thought this was going to be a miniseries, but when I was looking it up earlier to try and confirm that, everything I, sa- I read just said ongoing. But for some reason, I think this is just a five or six issue miniseries. Okay. Hmm. Sounds interesting. You watched the Legion TV show last year, right? Yeah. And as far as like... Marvel TV shows go, I think that Legion one is the best. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's so weird, but I loved the take they took on it. And um that was a FX show, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was on I, I, I enjoyed it as well. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I loved that. That was it was so weird. It was so different from any other show that I watch. And and the icing on the cake was, and this is a fucking comic book show too. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I I loved um, I loved Dan Stevens in that role because every episode I'd watch it and I'd go, "What's happening? I don't understand what's happening here, <laughs> but it's so darn good." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I I'm I'm gonna go back and read that. For, I have the first issue. I just haven't really read it yet because um, there's so much stuff to read, but. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna try to pick up issue number two as well so I can try to catch up with you. Oh yeah, I think you'll like it. I mean, my previous experience with the character was only through the TV show, mm-hmm. and and so when I saw this on the shelf at my comic shop, I just I just bought it based on that. I was like, oh, Legion, and it's a number one. Okay, yeah, let's do this. Right. <laughs> cool. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a very cool take. Um, I think once this mini series is through, I'd like to go back and get some further uh, background on the character as well. Nice. Uh, uh, anybody else got any other books they want to bring up? Not for um, me. Yeah, I don't have any others. <laughs> yeah, that was the last one on my list too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I have other stuff, but it's it's for number one comic book, so I'm holding yeah, off for that. Yeah, we should probably save that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully issues don't keep him fucking pushed back week after week. Oh, I, I know. That's a shame, but uh, that's all right. You'll do it on the next one. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, uh, well, this has been a lot of fun tonight. I, we covered some very weird ground. So t- very typical start cast, right? <laughs> we need to, you need to start coming up with the storyline for that Batman golfing comic. <laughs> Joe, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Joe, it writes itself. We should do it. <laughs> It'd be a crossover between Batman and Caddyshack. Something. That'd be, oh, be glorious. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have Bill Murray in there somehow. <laughs> yeah, I got that going Talk for about, me. Like talking to Batman about the Dalai Lama. <laughs> <laughs> Caddyshack, Batman. I love it. I love it. That's funny. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, definitely check us out on Number One Comic Books also. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to plug any more of your uh, podcasts? 
Yeah, you can hear me on Animated Batcast. That's the one I do with Paul Hart. We talk about Batman the Animated Series. Uh, it's an episode-by-episode review of the 1992 uh, series. And we also cover some Batman comics. We're going to be integrating that. We cover Batman news, DC news, too. You can hear us talk about that. Um, you can hear me also on Ladies of the Leftover Army, which is comes out through the Leftover Army Podcast Network, and it's where we talk about uh, women in film, women in television. Um, Rod, you've been on an episode with me. We talked about the movie Battle of the Sexes, um, the one with Steve Carell and um, Emma Stone. Emma Stone. I went to Emma Thompson. I was like, that's the wrong name. It's the right <laughs> Emma. Emma, yes, the last name is wrong. Emma Stone. Yeah. Um, and then I've done a couple of episodes recently with the Scenic cast, uh, some movie reviews, and I'm doing some Jessica Jones episode reviews with them. So you can check me out on there too. Scenic cast is what it's called. And of course, number one comic books with you guys. Yep. Oh, yeah. And we'll yep. be recording our next episode of that uh, this upcoming week. So you can check out and we're calling, calling them issues, right? Issue two. I yeah, think we'll we're be... going with issues. Yeah, I like, I like it. to keep it in the theme. I like that too. Yeah, issue two should be coming out uh, next week. That will be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and this was great talking comics with you. And uh, I want to thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been StartCast. If you have any questions or comments on what you just heard, you can email me at startcastpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the Tubby Ninja, or you can check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash startcastpod. Thank you very much for listening. Hey, I'd like to take a moment to ask you all a big favor. If you enjoy listening to Startcast, please log on to iTunes and leave me a review. It uh, really helps with visibility for the show, and um, I would super appreciate it. If you're not a fan and you want to be honest and tell me how much my show sucks, go ahead and leave me one of those too.